You're listening to Rosie Cole's Vaudeville Broadcast. This program may contain adult content, so if you're under 18, please either get permission or switch it off. in cabaret because it is quite a new thing for the cabaret scene to have critics I think or people dedicated critics yeah dedicated least, critics yeah. just for cabaret mm-hmm. not just sort of like some muggins from theatre who's wandered in and gone this isn't a play <laughs> and, and then written a, a 500 word article about how not a play the cabaret show was mm. but to have actual dedicated critics so like obviously your experiences have been why do we what? need critics that's a yeah. question that some people have asked not least yeah, Chaz Royale what are you guys for <laughs> No, Chas Royale has gone out and publicly said, I don't need critics, I just need audiences to tell me if they like it or not. I can measure my success through ticket sales. That's one point of view. Not one that I particularly agree with. <laughs> as a critic, as, as a I critic. didn't expect But it's not even like, it's to say, you know, I think critics serve a useful purpose. There's lots of things that we're not. We're not parasites. We're not your parents. We're not promoters. We're not publicists. We're not there to boost you just for the sake of, you know, boosting you. We're there to evaluate your work in the context of what's going on around. So we can provide context as an important thing. So also we tend to know what other, other shows are like, so we can give a balancing, you know, is this one of the best things we've seen? And often we are, you know, able to give massive props to shows that really deserve them through one way or another. And we can describe to people exactly why this show should give massive props. So if you do like the things that we're describing, go see this show. If the things we're describing isn't to your taste, then fine, avoid this show, even though we might have liked it. I think that's the thing, though. When people hear the word critic, they immediately think criticism. Mm. And that's not actually, like, the whole role. I mean, we spend so much of our time, you know, like we have today on this podcast, talking about enthusiastically about things that we think are fantastic. And we get to spend a lot of our time talking about why things are fantastic and why they deserve you know, more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all just about sort of, you know, sort of sitting there on our, you know, on our high throne saying, oh, well, this was dreadful and this was dreadful. Occasionally, we do have to talk about things that were dreadful. Um, <laughs> but it's only because you had to go... But sure, but it's... Uh, but, you know, critic doesn't automatically mean criticism, mm. you know, in the worst sense of the word, I would say. True, yeah. So... I hate the word critique because it just sounds so posh for what we do. <laughs> and it's, it's not really. We go out there and we describe and we evaluate what we see. And we can only judge what we see. So if we see a show which is no names, particularly bad because something went wrong on the night, we can't help that. We mm. can only describe what we see. And if we are particularly cruel sometimes, we try not to be. We try to evaluate the art, not the person. So sometimes that's difficult if you're evaluating, say, a burlesque, mm. because the person and the art are very close to each other. In some cases they are, definitely. In some cases. Whereas things like theatre, if you've got a cast and you've got a writer and you've got a producer and you've got a director, then it's much easier to say, you know, it's much easier as a critic to, it's much easier for a cast member to say, this is not all my fault. Whereas with Sometimes, a Sometimes, burlesque... unless the review's like, this specific cast member exactly. was terrible, which has definitely <laughs> happened before. <Yeah. laughs> this cast member ruined the whole show for everyone. Mm. Has happened, so those reviews. <laughs> I've written something like that. Um, but, it's, but often, I can understand why people sometimes take criticism personally. Mm. I never, ever intend to, you know, criticise somebody personally as a person basically for their art as an artist if you're doing something which is great I'll say so if you do something which is not so great I'll say so but based on the art not you as a human being same here if somebody wants to attack me fine attack my criticisms don't attack me as a human being I'm one of the very 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 few people on the cabaret scene who uses his real name yeah. So I want people to respect that. When I say something, I don't say it in private consultation. I don't say it in whispers. I don't say it on Facebook chat. What I do say is out in public, black and white. And it's attached to your name. And it's attached to my name. And for all those people who you know whisper stuff in the background, I don't do that. If I think strongly about something, I will publish it. I don't really care who I piss off. I said people might have found out. <laughs> I'm not on certain Christmas lists. I don't really care. That's not why I started doing this. What? You didn't start doing this for all the props and like amazing Christmas cards you'll get no. from like all your cabaret buddies who you get I'm to not choose here. with all the time. Exactly. And... <laughs> but yeah, it's I didn't come here to be a groupie basically. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I've, like, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, not that that's any use to anyone listening to this, because they weren't here earlier. <laughs> Before we turned on the microphone, we had an amazing conversation. We did. <laughs> um, talking about the fact that, you know, Franco and I kind of 
again come at criticism the way as just as we came into writing reviews in the first place quite differently and I have to say that you know to begin with you know as I said earlier it got to a point where people said you know we'd really love to you know hear your opinion to have more reviews from you you know as well as the things that you say to people privately um you know it was you know there was a point where I thought well you know I've made a lot of relationships in this community very close ones I work with everybody very closely I have an intimate knowledge of what's going on people trust me you know, um, and, you know, is this going to be compromised somehow if I start publicly reviewing things? Um, and, you know, to start with, you know, as I did it, you know, the, the sort of, it varied, you know, there would be some people who would be very open to criticism, you know, uh, if there was criticism, as I said, sometimes I'd be saying very nice things, often I do, but, you know, there would be times when people would be sort of very gracious about it and say, well, it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, we're going to take that on board and, you know, that's something for us to think about. Um, but then on the other hand, there'll be people who, you know, performers I've been friends with or, you know, had a, a strong acquaintance with for many years who will unfriend me on Facebook, um, walk away from me at gigs, um, you know, and uh, not speak to me. Um, and, you know, then there are other people who I don't know personally, um, but who will, you know, send all their friends and family to spam the site with personal comments towards me. Um, you know, and, and all this sort of kind of thing. And to start with, I did kind of find that slightly difficult. I thought, is this going to compromise what I can do in the scene as a documenter? Because as I said, like, that's primarily where I'm coming from. It's all documentation, even the reviews. Yeah. Um, and anything that impedes my ability to have an intimate, exclusive relationship within the scene and document things in that way, in a sort of unique way, um, would be a problem for me. But so far, I have to say, overall, that hasn't been the case. I've managed to sort of keep my close relationships with people and criticise them if necessary at the same time. And the majority of people do behave quite well towards me for what I'm doing mm. and recognise that it is a, a legitimate role I'm playing, that actually a lot of thought and effort goes into writing reviews just as it does doing a performance. Yeah. And, you know, having been a performer myself in the past, I have this, you know, this, I can relate to an extent to what they're doing. Um, as I'm criticising them, you know, so um, yeah, it can be quite a mixed bag and I think sometimes don't miss people, you know, don't remember that we are people, um, you know, and we sort of have feelings too and we do though, you know, well maybe, okay, maybe you don't, maybe <laughs> Frank, Franco's just taking a, advantage of the fact that this is an audio, bastard. he's just a cold hard bastard but, you know, I, I have a heart and feelings. And sometimes it is hard when people unfriend you and, you know... Holly is more of a shit about the Christmas card list than Franco. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, but, um... <laughs> no. Well, but they, it can vary. If they've been friendly to you, it can be quite galling to put out a review and then have the I guess people sometimes, who were friendly suddenly kind of be yeah, a bit... Yeah, I guess sometimes it's just a bit disappointing. Yeah. Um, I think you hope sometimes that people can sort of look beyond the personal and see that you might actually have something of value to say. You know, and I mean, it's equally frustrating when you spend a whole review saying how amazing a show was, and then you maybe there's one little paragraph in there where you say, you know, some things that could have been better were this, that, and the other. You know, and you've really thought this out and tried to sandwich it nicely, you know, so that you end on something positive, and all they will focus on is the one negative thing you said, you know, and the review won't be shared or credited or acknowledged in any way, and I find that quite sad. Um, but again, I, you know, we were talking earlier, um, off podcast about, you know, the way people come into performance mm -hmm. and how that can sometimes affect how they receive criticism. Like we were saying that, um, you know, some people will come into it from a performance background, say they'll have gone through drama school, they've gone through acting school or something like that, where they're constantly critiqued and receiving notes and receiving evaluation. Um, so when they come to then perform professionally, that's something they're really used to. They just, it's just part of the course, they just accept it. Or, you know, say they've, they've begun, say, an actor or a dancer and then they've moved into burlesque or cabaret in some way, where there are a lot more critics in, say, theatre and other things. You know, they're probably gonna be used to reading reviews about themselves. So it's something they accept more. Whereas there are other people, and say maybe especially in burlesque, which is more of a self-starter thing, you know, there's no kind of official academy or diploma you have to acquire in order to sort of get into burlesque shows. You can, you know, if you have talent and you have ideas, and it's a good thing, I mean, it's great that you can just get on stage and make that happen if you've got some real talent to offer. Gosh, you don't even 
need to have talent or ideas to be able to get on a stage. Well, <laughs> indeed. There are many, many freebie nights out there that you could just get some experience at where Absolutely. talent is not required. But, you know, there are some people who do come into it. And it, again, it's a word that not everyone likes the phrase, but, you know, who, who some people will say use it as a sort of self-esteem vehicle. And that's not, you know, all that essentially means is that for a lot of people, it's a very personal thing. They get into burlesque, maybe in classes to improve their self-confidence or to, you know, to improve themselves in some way. And then they're encouraged to, you know, perform on stage and take it further. But it still remains that very personal thing for them. You know, they're not necessarily all thinking, what am I offering to this art form? How am I developing myself as a professional? You know, it's, it remains this very personal thing. So when they then read criticism of themselves and their performance, it becomes a, a, a massively personal thing that they often get very defensive about. Mm. You know, you're wounding my self-esteem, you're, you're tearing me down, you're being a bitch, you know, you're, you're being harsh to me, you know, you're stifling what I want to do. And that's where it can get difficult. Mm. You know, people are sort of perceiving it in different ways. It's tricky though, because I guess maybe coming, uh, possibly potentially coming from a more cold-hearted perspective, <laughs> I would say if you are getting out on that stage in a professional setting, you should be prepared to take that as you are a professional doing a job. Absolutely. I mean, that's so essentially my So if you are receiving view, yeah. a review that is in a professional context. Absolutely. Um, the two things I'll say is, one is, if you're actually charging people to sit in that audience, that goes double. Yeah. But contra- the other way around is, if you've already marked this as a preview, there should be no critics there. That should be your playground for testing things out. Well, we generally have a policy, don't we, that we don't review previews. Yeah. You know, um, we, we treat that as, you know... Which so, knocks off a lot of cabaret people because if they're taking shows up to the Edinburgh Fringe, the only London shows will be previews. They will officially debut it up at the Fringe. And I have a, a reasonably strict policy of not previewing any of those shows because they are still in formation. I appreciate that you would like more publicity for those shows, but it's not going to happen if it's a preview show, but yeah. whether it's before the Fringe or at any point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there are certainly, you know, people do have um, concerns about quality control. The fact that especially the scene like Burlesque is incredibly saturated and that, you know, critics do act as another way of providing some sort of quality control, talking about what is of an acceptable professional standard and what isn't. Um, And it's like, you you know, you said yourself, uh, Rosie, earlier that um, some people, you know, find it hard to sort of give critique to their peers and close friends Mm. Um, and that the critic almost acts as someone a little bit more removed who can offer that critique that they feel that they can't you know Um, sometimes 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 Sometimes. they can say the things the friends and family are uncomfortable saying to people's yeah which is essential for their development which they're not going to get from anywhere else a lot of the time so that's another point it's tricky I think it's tricky because I also see it as a performer perspective also being a performer and a director like kind of just going like I think, I mean, I think criticism is interesting and I've dabbled, dabbled with it, but never sort of, but then, you know, as a performer, I can totally see you have to be very careful with what kind of criticism you listen to. And I'm very lucky to be talking to both of you because you both come from very considered perspectives where you've done the research, you've made the contacts, you've watched the shows, you've, you know, you've researched who you're talking about, you, you know, you won't go see previews and tear them down because, you know, things are still going wrong and they're not quite put together yet. You know, you you have certain standards, but then a lot of, the, you know, a lot of the other thing with the, from the performance perspective is they do, especially on Cabaret, do get the muggins from theatre who wanders in and goes, I don't understand what this is, but I don't like it. And they just tear it apart. So it's... I, I mean, sure, I think just still... as there needs to be some quality control with professional performers, there needs to be some quality control mm. with critics, too. Yeah, because like... you're right, it can be incredibly damaging yeah. if someone, you know, is coming from that perspective and, and delivers certain comments. One of the things that came out of this year's Fringe, which was really interesting, was a website called Fringe Pig, which I'm not sure you saw. No. It's basically, um, it's, it's mainly, only for comedy, nothing else, but only mm-hmm. for comedy. You had a website written by anonymous people critiquing um, comedy critics. A whole list of comedy critics, a list of their reviews per writer, and saying what they thought of the critic. You know, that what their patterns were, how good or bad they thought they were, giving them a star rating. So, yeah, I've played around with the idea of having something but for theatre in London, mm. not cabaret. That'll be well, a... I, I actually have to confess, I do that. If I put on a show and I get a review, I'll before I read their review, I'll figure mm. out who's come to see it, take their name, and read their other reviews to get a sense of what they, what they enjoy. So I know that if they don't like my show and it wasn't their cup of tea, it might, be it might not be like personally offended, it might just it might be a, a taste, taste thing, thing. Yeah. exactly. But also to see what they pick up on and to see whether I should listen to them because you know 
Maybe they don't really know what they're looking at when I make something, or maybe they actually know something really, really well, and I should probably be listening to what they, they're saying in their review and really thinking about it and implementing it. Mm. So I think, I think as a performer, you have to be savvy as well. But again, Holly, like you were saying, you don't, not everyone's got this kind of background or, or training to, to understand that that's where <laughs> critics are coming from in many ways. Sure. I mean, like you say, you know, I, I always kind of stress that having been a performer myself, I do really sympathise with the process of going through, knowing reviews are coming out and reading it and just bracing yourself for what they're going to say. I mean, my mother, um, as a writer herself, like checks through every review I write and she'll ring me up sometimes and say, Holly, come on. Like, if you know, back when you were performing, if someone made a comment like that about something you'd done, you would just curl up and die or just be able, but I feel if it's if you're making a valid point if you're making a valid point in a valid way that it's something that can be taken on board you know mm. um I think there's you know like you say there are times when you're going to say well does this critic actually have something informative to offer me that I should take on board but you st- but you know you don't want to then be defensive all the time and just say well this person said something negative so you they know, don't know cl- clearly about. they don't know what they're talking about you know I think you have to but you're right you do have to kind of have a little discernment and it is so tempting to do that though isn't it yeah <laughs> they know nothing <laughs> so, I'm curious because I always love getting into the sort of nitty gritty of it what have been some of your your like worst responses to your criticisms because obviously one of the horrible things as a critic like as a critic honestly personally anyway if I'm going to go see a show I want to see a really good show I don't want to see a shit show sure like I want to be able to go and say nice things about people I yeah. mean, maybe that's not the same for everyone but uh, well, it's I'd way like more to fun to say, say nice like things, yeah. nice things about people no well, so I think I come from a different perspective of Holly in the sense that the only professional capacity I'm in is a professional audience member mm. I've sat down I've paid my money often for shows and if somebody was reviewing this I would want them to put my interests first ahead of the performers. That's not to say don't take the performers' feelings into consideration, yeah. but if someone's going to pay £25, £30 for this show, are they going to get a good deal? Don't soft soap it if they're terrible. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I passionately agree with you. I mean, there was one, there was one, well, that's become slightly notorious review that I wrote earlier this year about a show I went to see, and not only was it just very badly executed in every way, but when I found out how much the public were actually being charged to sit through it, I was just, I was incensed. It just made me, you know, the, the review doubled in length because I was so incensed by this. Mm. You know, it's something that I am conscious of. You know, I think people need to be given value for money. Yeah, but as know. an audience member, when you pay money for a ticket, you want to go see a good piece yeah. of work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think there's, there is a stereotype of the critic going in with like a really mean face on like, well, what are the nasty things I can say about <laughs> this performance? But I don't like, so having to write a bad review obviously it's not like the most enjoyable task unless you like really hate the person yeah. the show. unless you're sick yeah. <laughs> yeah. unless you're like oh, i'm gonna enjoy this one yeah. <laughs> um so when you do have to give a less than stellar review like what what have been sort of some of the responses that maybe people can can avoid doing um because they don't oh. come across very well you can avoid getting your lawyers to write to me that always helps <laughs> yeah, lawyers, letters, and e- and emails in of an official capacity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can avoid telling us why things went wrong on the night because, quite frankly, we're not going to change the review because of it. We appreciate things go wrong for every show, but we can only review what we see. No more, no less. Ironically, I find that a lot of the time when people do write me big emails saying, oh yeah, but this went wrong and that went wrong and this person was sick and then this alarm went off and this happened and that happened. Um, Often I find when I look through that show, it was actually more essential components of execution and the cast selection and those essential things that really brought it down. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I know that people, you know, sometimes focus on these things and that's why it was wrong. But I think often people need to go back to the key execution and choices that were made before the show even began that may be to blame mm. and I often find that's the case when you get these big justifying emails um, that's almost always the case can't you said um, like solicitors letters and stuff like but you're just doing it you just yeah the reviews are legal you're allowed to say <laughs> things about things if they're your right. opinion that it's not libelous to say this is my opinion of my experience that I had you say that but again with things I discuss with other people things like not just reviews but things like awards have got a financial commitment to go with it or financial price to go with it in the sense if I get a nomination for whatever show I'm doing that's going to boost my ticket sales inevitably if somebody writes a good review that I can use that's going to boost my ticket sales 
This is why every show at the Edinburgh Fridge is crying out for a good review. Inviting a reviewer does not mean having a good review. There's two things that are totally separate. Even though I love, I love most of the cabaret I see, it doesn't mean I'm going to give a good review just because I'm in the audience. Even if it's somebody who I passionately love, like Bourgeois Maurice, they're not going to get a good review just because they are Bourgeois Maurice. I, just try, I always try to say what I honestly feel about the show, the pros, the cons, and then let people reading it make up their mind. Coming back to the point about constructive criticism, I don't believe it is the role of the reviewer to give constructive criticism. We're not here to tell a performer, a performer or a director or a producer what to do with their show. We're just here to tell them this is what we thought about it. It depends how you phrase it. Rather than saying you could cut half an hour out, you mm -hmm. can say this show went on for half an hour too long. And they make well, but that's kind of like indirectly telling. Totally. That's kind of what I mean. It, yeah. it, it becomes criticism in that, it becomes constructive criticism in that as an audience member, you get the sense of what they actually felt about the show and you go, ooh, I should work on that. Yeah. If they feel it, they can turn it into constructive criticism, go for it. But we're not here to hand out lessons or ideas or anything which will change your show. We're just here to tell you what we thought about show. Nothing more, nothing less. I mean, in my case, I would say that that's maybe something that's a secondary thing. Like, there will be people who are writing a review, and obviously I'm not going to spend the entire review giving my full notes on every comment, <laughs> but there will be people who will come to me after the review and say, okay, you touched on some things here. Would you now be willing, you know, in private to give me further feedback and some actual constructive criticism on where we could have done things better? But like I said, I don't think necessarily a review is the place for that kind of in-depth constructive criticism, for sure. Um, the other thing I was just thinking of in terms of contact you get something that's kind of poor form is um, people who sort of treat me as if I'm actually sort of working for their PR department where they'll email me and they'll say um yeah so we, we read the review and uh, it's it's great but we were just wondering if maybe you could change this bit and that bit because it doesn't make us sound very good um, you know if you said this we think it would make us sound a bit better and maybe if you couldn't mention this person because mentioning them makes us kind of look bad and and it'll go on like this and you'll just kind of think are you kidding like it's like like you're they're paying you or something to write them a you know a sort of glowing recommendation oh you my know. god yeah they actually have How the cheek respond to that like well thanks very much for your email pay me 500 pounds and i'll write you a glowing press release <laughs> well yeah once in some cases i think i just refuse point blank to do that in principle <laughs> even for the money but um but you know what i mean like some people will generally you know make no bones about directly asking you to change things add things because um, it makes them sound bad. Wow. Um, and obviously that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, uh, that won't happen. God, I always thought, um, particularly with theatre reviews, that like, once the review came out, I'm like, well, that's it, I'm fucked. <laughs> like, if it's bad anyway. I mean, <laughs> if there are things like particular factual details that perhaps are wrong... Or, or there's something in there that I've said that isn't absolutely crucial or necessary. There are times when I will remove things. But otherwise, it's pretty final. But it's just that people have the cheek to ask you. You know, aside from that, like I said, you get responses like people unfriending you, people refusing to speak to you at events, um, people sending their whole fan base after you to bombard your email address or your comments boxes on your site and you know, making very personal attacking comments or talking about how amazing this performer is and anyone who thinks they're not amazing must be just blind and drunk and stupid and blah and you're a bitch, you know, and it's, yeah, it, it can get, yeah, very disappointing um, the way some people respond. I mean, the worst thing I hate is when producers or PR try to interfere with the review process. So in one case, um, a show that was down in the Old Vic Tunnels, the producer wrote to me and said, um, I know you're going to write a review of this, but would you mind uh, not mentioning this particular act? It wasn't a spoiler. It was one of the acts amongst many, but it was a very extreme sideshow act. It was a lady pretty much putting needles through her skin, which for some people they might find a bit icky. But for me, it was the one act through the entire night where everybody was transfixed in one way or another. Either they were hiding behind their hands or they were just staring blind, just staring out at this. And I wanted to write about this. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we would rather you didn't. So I didn't write the review pointedly because of that. Because for me, it would have been missing, you know, what the point of the whole show was, which was that there was a whole variety of things. Some of them were good, some of them were bad, some of them were just amazing. And this is one of the amazing things I saw. For in literally, you know, the very literal sense of amazing. Not that it was really great or, great or bad, but it was transfixing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that in some cases, I've had one person write to me say, um, we saw you in the audience. Um, you weren't planning on writing a review, were you? We'd rather you didn't. Yeah. Which um, <laughs> when you've been invited as press to review. Yeah, yeah. on a press night. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, in that case, you know, I said, you know, 
Um, I think there are already enough reviews out there of this and I think they reflect my opinion. So I don't think there's any point in me adding to whatever the opinion is. So I, at that point I said no to a review. But in other cases, I pretty much would have just said, yeah, I don't particularly mind or particularly care about what you think. <laughs> um, because, you know, I'm here to represent the audience's views, not yeah. the producers, the performers. And if it was a particularly bad show, then I'm sorry, but I've got That's no idea so if, this is, if this is sample or not. Other ones might be better, other ones might be worse. Do you think this is a phenomenon that's like exclusive to cabaret? Because I really feel like in more like more established, in quotation marks, mm. art forms, that it's kind of just accepted that critics will turn up and say what they're going to say. And if you get a bad review, it kind of has to be like water off a duck's back, really, because you've still got the rest of your run to do. Mm. Or if you know it's a review in previews, then you've got the opportunity to change things. But is it, do you think this is like a cabaret-specific phenomenon where people will be like, no, don't touch it, no, don't talk about it, or like, I can't believe you said that, or... I want to say maybe it's cabaret-specific because there's other small areas like spoken, spoken words, but um, I'll get on to whether I think cabaret is a small area later. A cabaret at the moment has so few critics. That's something I'm trying to change, so, almost single-handedly, I think. Um, people like myself and Ben Waters and other people are trying to get in and trying to, trying to do proper critique. Proper critique, I mean... This is Cabaret has about a four-page document on the kind of thing we expect our critics to adhere to. Things like, you know, naming conventions and whatnot, but also the kind of things that I don't want to see in a review. I don't want to see, I saw this, I loved that. This was as good as a show I saw four months ago. That's got no place in it. Judge what you saw, no more, no less. Um, so we're trying to make it as professional as possible. If people have an issue with any review at all, please write to me, franka at thisiscabaret.com. I will always listen to all opinions of what you know, we publish. Not that I'll change anything mine most times, but you know, I'm always prepared <laughs> to listen to people. Because most times I'll complain about things which weren't matters of fact, they're matters of opinion. And because I'm normally, not normally there at the show, I have to trust the opinion of the review he did go. If it was particularly terrible, then that's his opinion, and nobody can really change that. Yeah. Uh, but again, like Holly says, if there's a factual thing which is, which is wrong, we can go on to that and look at it and perhaps change that, if it's indeed wrong. But generally, yeah. I'm willing to always listen to what people say and write to me. Mm. Yeah. So you're saying cabaret being a small area hacks you off? It's not a small area, not at no. all. I hear people, even people who are, people who run awards, shall we say, <laughs> calling cabaret a niche. Um, cabaret is not a niche. If it is, it's the biggest fucking niche I've ever it's seen. It's more like a collection of many niches, isn't it? No, not even that niche. You know, like... Fuck off. Sorry. But you've got things like... Well, musical... niche, I don't consider niche to be some sort of belittling or criticism. No, it's not belittling, but it's, it tends to think this is a small area. For example, one example. Uh, okay, let's go from the beginning. Musical comedy, burlesque, drag, circus. These are just four big areas mm -hmm. inside this apparent niche. Mm -hmm. You take one of these niches, drag. You've got people like Le Gâteau Chocolat. You've got people like Myra Dubois. You've got people like Meth. All apparently drag. All very, very different to each other. Very rarely you'll see two of those booked for the same show. Simply because they are so very different to each other. Oh my God, I apparently... would love to see all three of them in the same show. Though. How amazing <laughs> yeah, that would be. Awesome. <laughs> this is... Can we call them and just be like, three of you, one room, come up with a show. <laughs> We've demanded it. We've just come up with this. It's awesome. <laughs> Make it happen. It would be the ultimate drag show. But... This is a huge area, which is inside apparently a niche, which is inside another niche. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. how small is cabaret? Mm. Not very. It's incredibly varied. They're very good at dumbing themselves down, cabaret people, saying, we just live in a small area. Only because nobody takes notice of you, only because you're not on TV, generally. RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag Race. Again, a massive drag event. It's become huge. It's become huge. And people like Meth should take huge credit for dragging people like Sharon Needles over here to do the Halloween show. She could have been anywhere in the world for Halloween. She spent it in London at the Black Cap. Not the O2, you know, she could have done massive venues, but no, she was at the Black Cap. Yeah. And I think people like Meth have to take an amazing amount of credit for that. But I think your issue, as you say, is you want to develop more specialist cabaret critics. I want to develop cabaret critics. Mm -hmm. Not specialists, just people who understand the scene, or at least a particular element of scene, enough to give an informed and experienced opinion mm -hmm. on and there's just not enough of those people. Mm -hmm. If we had to say, name all the drag critics, um, even though we discussed how wide the scene drag is, I couldn't name any specialist drag critics. Why? Don't know. There's none. Mm -hmm. Number of burlesque critics in the world. In the world. Handful? Yeah, I would say. How big is burlesque? How many hundreds of millions of pounds a year goes into it? Well. 
<laughs> yeah. Lots. It's, it's, it's not a it's not known to be a huge money maker. No, but, but the, <laughs> amount of, the amount of press it gets, the amount of, it's, a, it's a big scene around the world. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a movie called Burlesque, which mm. doesn't actually feature yes. any actual shouldn't be, burlesque. Shouldn't be called Burlesque, but, but it is. it's the title <laughs> of a big recent movie. It's been around for I don't know what over a hundred years. Burlesque, going back to its roots. Well, in many forms, it's roots. been around since ancient times. Yeah, I mean. forever and ever. But in what we've, you know, what we've seen since what, like nineteen forties, maybe. Uh, yeah, before, uh, yeah. even before, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is like you know a hundred year old art form that apparently people don't know what they're looking at still when they go see a burlesque show. So no one's going to critique it. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, I mean, you know, cabaret is a wider thing aside. In burlesque, the idea of you know. You know, sort of public criticism is a massively new thing, and there's a big divide in opinion over whether it's necessary, how it should be done, whether it's welcomed, and how people respond to it. Um, but all I can say is that I do get more and more calls for it. Um, there's another publication in New York, uh, Burlesque Beat, um, and there's a uh, the you know the key writer for them, J.D. Oxblood, who runs it with his wife Melody. Um, you know, he also critiques burlesque and writes reviews and, and various other write-ups in different forms. Um, you know, and we've both discussed widely, you know, the kind of different responses that we've had, but we both feel that it is nonetheless essential. Mm. You know, the fact that we do get positive responses to it and calls for more of it, you know, is the more important thing to us than the people who can't handle it or, you know, who, who get defensive, you know. It's something that people want, yeah. You know, in all sorts of ways. I mean, even just BurleyCon, you know, the, the major con educational convention for burlesque every year, such a big part of it is peer reviews because it gives people an opportunity to get a, a wider idea from a group of people of how they can improve what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, overall, in all sorts of ways, there is more call for criticism, assessment of quality, um, you know, and I feel like we have to play a part and set an example, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I've committed to doing more and more reviews. Um, you know, public, um, private, you know, critique and consultation is, is only so good, you know, it doesn't sort of publicise that process yeah. um, or document it publicly, which again is one of my focuses. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to sort of lead the way and, you know, encourage others to do the same. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at with asking you guys all these questions is like basically why, why criticism can be so valuable and I guess why we shouldn't react to it in such a knee-jerk way when we receive it you know why people should actually like recognize that it's not a personal thing it is it is it's bigger than that it's bigger than you know one producer or performer's ego it's sure it's far bigger and far more important i mean i think you know as a whole i think it you know the the one thing to remember about people like me and jd Ockblood and franco is that, um, you know, we're not just some critic who's come off some newspaper who's going into a show and are just going to kind of throw off their opinion and they don't give a shit. You know, we all spend so much of our personal time, our hours, our money, our energy, our, you know, our personal and private time, you know, dedicated to this scene. We love it. You know, we've made ourselves informed about it because we're so passionate about it. You know, we're we're all on the we're on the same side, if you get what I'm saying. You know, we're on the same page. We're all involved and invested in the same scene in different ways. Mm. Um, you know, so in a way, you know, the the critique, if it comes and when it comes, is coming from us. Yeah. People who actually give a shit. <laughs> you know. Yeah about about you know the the scene and how it develops and you know we, we actually really care you know and we put a lot of thought into what we write you know we don't just toss things off you know not giving a shit how people feel about it but if we feel something's important to say then we will stand up and say it you know and most people do receive it well you yeah. know and take things away from it and everything develops as a result of it you know that's the idea um yeah so yeah, you know, but we're not we're not the bad guys, you know, who <laughs> yeah. aren't involved in any way and haven't put anything of ourselves into the scene. We have, we do on a daily basis, you know, yeah, um, just sure. as much as everyone else. So. And two more points, sort of. Neither myself nor Holly are financially or artistically connected to the scene, so we do have a measure of independence that a lot of people, like example, peer reviews would not have. Mm -hmm. And the other point is, is that final point maybe is that um, we're just one person's opinion. We're just, you know, we give our opinion. The other opinions are available. Statutory rights not affected. It's, you know, move along. It's, if you don't like <laughs> what we read, read somebody else's review. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> but that said, we do try to make, you know, we, we do try to make our reviews informed and worthwhile. But that said, you know, um, we're coming from an informed place. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, and that's ideally what all, where all criticism should come from if it's responsible and, and you know, has integrity and worth. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're saying. There are a lot of reviews out there that aren't coming, aren't grounded on, you know, genuine sort of knowledge and investment and integrity. And maybe that's what needs to also be worked on, you know. Like I said before, quality control for criticism as well as performance, you know. Yeah, so, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there we go. It's <laughs> good, it's all good. So I think we're going to have to... Hmm? Should we go through some of the events of the year? What? Yeah, should we go through some more? Have you got more events? More events. More events. How do we need more? There's loads more. No, there's so <laughs> many more events. No, we're so good. many more cabaret shows. We're good. No, no, no. Not necessarily, not necessarily cabaret shows. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> Let's start with JoJo's. Oh, oh yeah, we haven't God, even talked about all that stuff. What's been happening? Like, well, yeah, Madame JoJo's. Anna Lou and I kind of touched on it, and they're like, "This is so sad." But in a way, this is kind of a nice final point to end on because it says so much about the sort of the cabaret scene here and how unified and it is and how yeah. sort of like optimistic I feel for its future. The fact that in the face of something that's, you know, distressing a lot of people, um, we could all come together on a day like that and make that statement. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a fantastic thing to be a part of. Yeah, that um, that peace vigil and that sort of funeral for Madame Jojo's. Was, I was so gutted. I was out in the country so I couldn't be there and I was totally gutted because like in spirit I was so there I was so there parading through the streets of the west end bearing a coffin aloft and laying a wreath at Jojo's door but you know it it does speak a lot about the 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 community Mm -hmm. that is within cabaret it's not just another industry it has a heart it has definitely got a soul to it and people really care you guys were there. So. Yeah, we were. Us nasty <laughs> critics. We were horrible critics. We like to tear everyone we down. We were marching alongside you all with a little tear in our eye. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not all doom and gloom. Hopefully trying to have one last gig there at Madame Jojo's. Hopefully Soho Estates want to reopen it up until next summer when they're going to finally close it down. They spoke about a couple of years changing it. Depending on they might call it Madame Jojo's, they might not. But definitely having another performance space there at Brewer Street. So it's not all doom and gloom. Mm. There's hope, anyway. There's, there's always there's hope. A, there's a sliver of hope. <laughs> there is. There's a sliver of hope. But yeah, but it, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful statement of how we can all kind of come together, united under something, and mm. you know, it's a, we've got a fantastic community here in London. Yeah. Um, you know, and the future's undoubtedly bright. Just hope that a similar community spirit can rally around the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Exactly, which I was well, about to talk yeah. to you next, which is saying that I mean I've spoken to certain people around there. I'm hopefully gonna have a word with some more people around there next year and to discuss what exactly are the future plans there. Because the initial statement mentioned the champagne champagne and wine bar, I understand that might not be completely accurate. Uh, but it means that they might change the character of the RBT, which over the last thirty, forty years has definitely had a certain character. Mm. This is this kind of place that Freddie Mercury bought Princess Diana to. Yeah. Admittedly hidden, but this is where they danced along the bar this is where people you know a lot of famous drag queens have started off there Mm. and it'd be a shame to see it has a shame to see its character changed in any material way which i understand it won't be i understand barbell tab which goes on on tuesdays will be continuing there on tuesday i spoke to ingo and she's happy that it's going to go forward there Mm. Um, so yeah hopefully rbt will be the same as it is forevermore apparently they're not going to close it down during works so that'd be good to keep it open yeah other issues were things like drag queens being asked to change their names. Not just oh, drag queens, but any anybody God, who has a... performers being attacked for not having their real names on Facebook. Oh. It, it, the ball, that was a... Were you affected by that? Uh, I wasn't because I actually, when I started performing, uh, I had an established Facebook page under my civilian name, as I like to call it, and I set up a fan page for myself rather than setting up a new profile and have basically been kicking myself ever since because... I just talk to people through my personal profile. I rarely talk to people through my page. It helps keep some of the weirdos at bay, definitely. Mm. But to see performers that I massively respect who could actually be quite dangerously affected by having their real names revealed Mm. and then also lose years worth of contacts and fan bases just erased in one fell swoop, Mm. it was shocking. And it was also shocking to me that it disproportionately affected burlesque performers and drag queens it did not disproportionately affect um actors and people we would think of as more mainstream or heteronormative 
what made me crazy is there that, were like that was really there were accounts on, affected as well there yeah, are, yeah circus, like, perform- um, circus performers yeah circus performers. but like the fact that there were accounts on twitter where people were sending people to report specific profiles Didn't maliciously really to have them shut down just made me fucking crazy but the idea was that it was supposed to promote transparency but really all it did was ruin anyone with a stage name yeah. Because they're like, oh well, having a having a false name is a you know is deceptive. I'm like, it's a career for most people. It's a career choice. You think yeah. all actors who have to change their names are deceptive? Like, yeah. But I mean, even after the supposed turnaround from policy. even after the supposed turnaround from Facebook after the meetings that were held, I'm I'm hearing even this week there are still yeah, people who are now having the same problem. Yeah. So um, obviously the issue hasn't been fully resolved. Um, no, people you are know, still getting shut down. Absolutely. So I, I don't know what's going to happen next. We're going to have to have another meeting of some kind. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, yeah, it's troubling. It's pretty disturbing. It's troubling. I mean, Although, it wasn't all bad for drag queens because Conchita worst won Eurovision. Yeah. And that was like a big high. That was like. It yeah. feels a bit like 2014 has been the year of drag in a way. There's yeah. Been a lot of delicious year. Focus has been on drag a lot in many ways. Dragon Circus has really started exploding as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been a draggy, circusy year. There's now we just need a sort of drag circus, also, new uber niche drag circus would just be fabulous. Yes. Can you imagine? Yes, it would be fabulous. I'm not sure. Again, this, we need to start making some calls. This needs to happen. Yeah. Did you see Panty Bliss's speech towards the beginning of the year? Mm-mm. Do you know who Panty Bliss is? No. She's like a major Irish drag queen. Huge. Oh, wow. Uh, kind of like the Paul... Is it Paul O'Grady or Paul Grady? Paul O'Grady. Paul O'Grady, but of the Dublin scene. So, massive. And he gave a speech, she gave a speech from the stage about uh, about gay marriage, equal, mm. equal marriage. Because what happened was that she was invited on a television programme. She was asked to give her opinions. She said that certain people went out of their way to demonise gay people... And this included certain newspaper columnists, included certain pressure groups. The TV channel afterwards received complaints from these people that she criticised. They apologised to these people that she criticised. And they gave money to these people that she criticised. They then, on their repeat version, their ITV2 equivalent, they censored it. They edited out what she said. So Patty Bliss was invited back to the TV show to say, can we ask for your opinion again, perhaps in a more tamer fashion? Instead, she went on a stage of a local theatre, and she gave her opinion there. Not in front of a feed camera, but somebody who put it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. That became one of the most famous speeches of the year. The way that she passionately, for about 10 minutes, explained just why the situation was so extremely fucked in Ireland. And for me, one of the defining moments of the year in terms of actual drag. Conchita Mm -hmm. Worst, another great high, but this, what Panty Bliss did, fucking amazing. It's that fusion of performance and politics Mm. that that touches more than than just the average audience but really gets actually like a sort of global Absolutely. reach mm-hmm. it's mm. amazing yeah cabaret found two new fans this year snoop dogg decided to do a cabaret show not just like a songbook type thing which is in america cabaret tends to mean songbook he did a proper variety show in vegas god bless him we've oh, got snoop. articles uh, what good old snoop snoop lion has known as snoop dogg before <laughs> michael gove really out, michael gove came out and said i love chap hop Oh yeah! Instantly making it completely uncool. Instantly, everyone went. I hate chap hop. Yes, on like shaving those waxed moustaches. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. B came out and said, "No, thank you very much. I'm always interested in more fans. This one, I'm not." <laughs> Professor Elemental said, "You know, I'm, I know he's been to some of our early shows, but again, yeah, one less supporter is not going to hurt me. I'll be good. Thanks. Cheers, mate." So both of them came out pretty much saying, you know, the same oh. thing. Poor old Mr. Gove. <laughs> to, to be that publicly unpopular, it must be... Uh... But it led to Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer, being the last part of Paxman's last show. He was uh... invited on to give a little song, and for me, that's a bit of cabaret history, that, you know, in yeah. 2014, which is brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. We should have kind of added that bit onto the first bit about shows of the year, really. It's kind of more highlighty stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm sure nice... you can chop and change oh, it. Oh, no, it's nice to end on, like, highlights of events from the year as yeah. well, though. Not just, like, why the critic is important. <laughs> you do passionately defending your position. But also, like, talking about all the great things that yeah. happen in the civil community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone coming together and changing things and, and actually realising we're not that small. We're actually quite important. You're incredibly yeah, important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we would say that. We're all in the, in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> we all say that about each other. Um, so, how are we doing for time? Oh, not too bad. Um, I would like to end on uh, 
I normally ask people what's the worst thing that's happened to them on stage and what's the best thing that's happened to them on stage. So I'm going to ask you guys, what's the worst thing that's happened when you've been reviewing a show and what's the best thing that's been happened when you've been reviewing a show? And it can either be like after the fact, like a particularly great response to a review or like someone coming up and chatting to you that you didn't expect to say, like, I'm so glad to have you here. Or, or it could be like, tell your Bruno a real, story. real shit show happening or, oh, or, or someone threatening you with lawyers or, you know, I'm just curious. I'm so curious. I was reviewing a, a show at Saddle as well. So this is not in cabaret mode. This is in my non-cabaret mode, but it was a tango show. And I had uh, the judge from Strictly Come Dancing called uh, Bruno Tonioli uh, sitting right behind me and slightly to the right. And uh, throughout the show, he was quite loudly saying stuff like, amazing, wonderful, sexy, <laughs> and his big, thick Italian accent. Which I'm fairly sure is fake, but let's not go there. <laughs> and part of me was tempted to turn around and say, would you mind, sir, please shutting the fuck up because someone was actually trying to watch this. And then after about two or three interjections of him like shouting or speaking loudly in my right ear, I decided to write his words into the review. It became one of my more like, you know, read reviews on Londonist. But that was quite fun. Um, yeah, how about you? Was that, was, that, um, was, that, wait, was that the best or the worst? That was probably the, that was probably the most interesting, well, not most, that was an, an interesting event. I'll say, yeah. Um... Well, once I was reviewing something where the guy next to me started to subtly masturbate. Um, oh! Yeah, which I remembered. I didn't remember <laughs> earlier. Um, which was kind of distracting when I was trying to make notes. He was making a statement of his own. I was trying... Oh, my God! Because I was torn between thinking, I should go and speak to an usher or somebody and you know, point him out and have him move. But, but this is a really important part of the show and I really need to be making notes. So, um, um, so I just kind of carried on making notes and pointed it out afterwards. But I think he's, he sort of, you know, got, got done what he needed to get done eventually. And, oh. Yeah, I know, but whatever. Oh. And, um, and then, That's yeah. That's not appropriate. I know, I know. But, uh, I guess that was just his way of showing his appreciation. Uh, um, <laughs> And then there was a time when um, a performer uh, flipped me off um, as they came through the audience after one of my reviews. I'm assuming, I mean, it was pretty obvious it was connected to something I'd written. Um, oh. And they were doing their little audience patter, like walking through the audience after coming off stage and just, yeah, just flipped me off um, as they walked through, which was really nice. It's nice to connect with <laughs> new people. Um, in, yeah, so, so yeah. Um, they were really good things, were they? It was, it was, <laughs> I was trying to work out which was the best and which was the worst. I know, I'm not sure. Can you put this one in? Yeah. <laughs> um, what the worst, probably the worst time I ever had at a gig was, um, it wasn't entirely for the show, the show was great, but there was a bunch of um, extremely loud and extremely pissed young ladies enjoying a Hindu. And it's not unusual to have young pissed ladies at a Hindu at a cabaret show, pretty much the norm in some cases. Sometimes makes the show better. Sometimes makes the show better, but in this case, it was a very emotive show. I mean, it was Boy Lex, where I'm not sure if you've been, but it's a mixture of like um, men stripping off, plus men also monologuing about their past or a story, something which is usually quite emotional, usually not funny, and something which isn't helped by women giggling and laughing over the top of it. <laughs> and it got worse and worse. The host was outpaid art, and he tried his best to control them. I think even Alp lost it when one of the girls decided to vomit down the front of herself during the second half of the show. And her friends had to noisily drag her out of the show, <laughs> up the stairs and out of the venue. Oh my so, God. Uh, Alp, if you're listening, dude, you did a great show that night. It wasn't your fault what happened, but jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. What, what about great things? Any great things? Well, I mean, all, there, are, there are some, you know, what's great is is when you're, um, you know, you're in the middle of just a mind-blowingly fantastic show and you're just sharing this kind of aura of appreciation with the audience around you. Like, I know Franco, one of his favourite things to do when he's watching a show is to look around the audience and see their reactions to the show as well. And, you know, there are just times when you just look around and realise you're all crying, you know, because you're just so blown by, you know, what's happening in front of you. Or, you know, you're, you're appreciating something for the first time, just like everyone else around you, just, you know, which doesn't always happen nowadays, but, you know, and yeah, being a part of a, a collective audience which you're experiencing something. There are all sorts of amazing, uplifting highs, you know, and emotional moments and things that make you think, you know, um, that you're sort of sharing very intimately with people very close to you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to pick out specific 
things but you know we've gone through some of the amazing things that have happened this year but um you know yeah but i guess i guess the the slightly less savory things tend to stick in your mind more <laughs> when it comes to recalling things ah uh, they're more fun when, when it comes to telling stories yeah yeah so. <laughs> that's for sure the greatest feeling for me is when i come out of a, a really good show and it's one that i want to tell the world about and i want to be able to put pen to paper and say please everybody whatever it costs you come down see the show because it won't be there forever it's going to change your life, yeah. Of, yeah. Well, maybe not change your life, but <laughs> there's a hundred million shows in London which are much worse than this. Yeah. Come see this, and you'll <laughs> understand maybe well, what the best of cabaret is really about. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that, for me, is the ultimate buzz. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should probably just end on that. That's a brilliant thing to end Yay. on. Yeah. We did it. We've got so much more to talk about, though. We'll, have to save we'll the come back next year. Yeah. Come back oh, next yeah. year. We'll do this again. Absolutely. This is awesome. Tell everyone on the podcast where they can find your websites and things. Say links. Say Well, you've said your email address, Franco. Yeah. Um, um, I'm Franco at thisiscabaret.com. You can find my website at thisiscabaret.com. It's a website called thisiscabaret.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can find 21st Century Burlesque at 21stcenturyburlesque.com. Um, is that 21st spelled 21st? 21stcenturyburlesque.com. You can find us on Twitter as um, at Burlesque Online. And um, we're on Facebook as Burlesque in capital letters. So oh, if you just that's put you Burlesque <laughs> in capital letters. We're a really big growing page now. Um, it's, a, it's about 125,000 people or so. So it's a really nice, fun page. Um, so uh, come join us. Um, I'm trying to keep that page going. So, oh, and uh, I actually know by the time this goes out, it'll be too late to vote in the Burlesque Top 50, but, you know, look out for the results of the Burlesque Top 50. Um, whatever you've decided, I'm yet to find out. I'm counting furiously. Ooh, so there we so go. exciting. Yeah. So exciting. And as ever, I've been your host, Rosie Cole. You can find me on Facebook as well, uh, facebook.com forward slash Rosie Cole Dancer. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Rosie underscore Cole. You can find my website, rosiecole.com. Or uh, what I really like is getting emails from people. I love feedback. I love comments. I love it when people uh, say their thoughts, even if they're incredibly banal. I'm interested. Um, so email me on rosiecoledancer at gmail.com. And thank you so much again for listening and have a wonderful night.